every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Anthony Canada, co-founder and CEO at Audience Plus, a company pioneering the industry's first owned media software for marketers, enabling companies to build, engage, and monetize an owned audience. In this episode, Anthony shares the many benefits of companies distributing content on their own domains, the idea of a more efficient content feedback loop, and how owned media is the way forward. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Anthony Canada, co-founder and CEO at Audience Plus, and your host, Ian Faison. Anthony, welcome to the Pipeline Summit, Pipeline Visionaries live at the MoMA. It's awesome. San Francisco. We were just chatting for a while before this. I'm so excited to finally have you on the show and get to talk with you live in person. Yes. So many Zoom calls over the years, <laughs> but so excited to chat content, chat Audience Plus, your go-to-market, how you think about all that stuff. And so let's get into it. Let's do it. Thanks First, how did you get started in marketing? Oh man, so I, it was never my intention, to be honest. Like I found myself working in, in tech, I came up as an SDR at Box back in 2009 and kind of pivoted to like business development, kind of the partnerships team, moved my way over to product management. I don't know how or why someone gave me a shot on product, but I actually really enjoyed it and thought I would actually keep pursuing product. And then my CEO at Gainsight, who I'd worked with at Live Office, called me and said, I'm doing this thing, this, this company called Gainsight, or uh, would be called Gainsight over time. Do you want to interview or do you, like, you want to talk about it? And this was one of the leaders that I would follow blindly into the dark, right? He is like values driven, a cultural kind of leader. And so whatever he was going to lead me towards, I was going to say yes. And he asked, and I put together this like plan of how I'd run product for this company. And he said, what do you think about marketing? I'm like, I have no, I, I've never done marketing before. And so I, you know, wanted the job, wanted to work with him. So I go on uh, Wikipedia and I'm searching demand gen so I can just sound smart and drop words like MQL and kind of know what I'm talking about. And thankfully, uh, he, he gave me the, the job. But, you know, I think what I have found, like a couple things. One is the, the lesson I learned is that sometimes people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And he saw a marketer in me. I think he says there was like a presentation I gave like several years prior that stuck with him or something to that end. So thankfully, I think I landed somewhere that, or a profession that I just love, you know, so I'm glad, I'm glad he pushed me. And so a few stops being head of marketing, being a CMO, and now you're a CEO, yeah. which is the path we always love for marketers to make it into the CEO role. But you started a company, Audience Plus, and you've had a fascinating sort of buildup to launching the company yeah. and a lot of you know early customers, really cool customers. Take us back to why did you start Audience Plus? 
Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. So, I mean, it starts with this, the origin story, right? Like I got dropped into the head of marketing job and I didn't have a lot of bias. I had a lot of, all I had was first principles for how we can build gain sight into a company. And so I didn't think about paid search. I didn't think about SEO. I didn't think about these things that you might be trained to as a kind of marketer coming up through the different kind of parts of the org. And so I looked to like late night television, Airbnb, like what are the consumer media or consumer marketers doing? That's really interesting. And that was sort of the, the thesis for Gainsight's marketing approach. It was, okay, let's just serve this persona with education and entertainment and do it in like interesting ways. We did events just like this one. We hosted podcasts, all these types of things, which in 2013, when we started, was sort of deemed as brand or yeah. corporate marketing. You can't measure it. It sits outside the growth equation, but you know, we think there's some like benefit to it. I found that that was actually, like, maybe we put a, call it thought leadership or something in general. I found that thought leadership was actually like the number one driver for Gainsight success, not just from the lens of brand awareness or whatever, but from a pipeline perspective, like it actually helped us generate sustainable pipeline, people that weren't just coming in through a transactional channel, but wanted to stay with us. So that kind of became part of my playbook and I took it to front and I took it to hop in in the CMO kind of role there. And it was at hop in that I was trying to build sort of, you know, the interface digitally that is between our brand as, you know, as the company and our audience, which historically is the blog. That's kind of where, where, we send traffic to on our website to kind of get people to engage with our thought leadership. And at each company, I've sort of tried to kind of supercharge our blog in a way, like add, make it about more than just written content, add video and live events and podcasts and those types of things. And I want people to subscribe or opt in or convert into our thought leadership. And that was kind of like the leading indicator we used to measure thought leadership. We're like, okay, if they're not subscribing, asking for a demo request, are they at least subscribing to our content in some, in some way? And so I built something internally at Gainsight. It was kind of ugly, kind of, you know, use like Zapier hooks to plug it into Marketo to kind of try to make it work. At front, I used an expensive uh, agency and it cost a lot. And when they handed it to us, we couldn't maintain it because we, we need like engineers to basically upload content. So at Hopin, this was sort of like under the, the shadows of Salesforce Plus that had just come out and HubSpot doing some interesting things. And I'm like, gosh, there's got to be by now like a Salesforce Plus as a service, something where we can distribute content on our own domain. We can build subscriber, an owned audience of subscribers. And then we can look at the data and understand how is all of this engagement actually driving revenue? And there wasn't. So it's a long answer to your question, but that was sort of the the prompt was, this, this needs to exist. This trend is happening. And there wasn't sort of an underlying platform to take the blog into the modern era and turn it into more of a, what we call an own media platform. It's so interesting because I had a very similar journey at the exact same time. And this was like before Salesforce Plus had launched where I had made five of Salesforce podcasts yes. and I was starring in, you know, three of them. <laughs> starring, in quotes, <laughs> hosting them. And... I was thinking at the exact same time, like there's this massive organization that has that we're, you know, at Dreamforce, this, you know, creates four dollars for every one dollar that they make for the ecosystem, this massive ecosystem of all these people. And I interviewed probably like a thousand people on across their shows over the course of about two years. And what struck me so much was every single relationship and conversation that I would have 
with these people. They had this affinity and love for Salesforce and they had all these unique stories and perspectives and the way that they use it and the way that they do this stuff and this like long form information yeah. was so helpful. And then at the same time, all these conversations led to business for my business. And I was like, wait a second. It's like the, all of this thought leadership stuff, this brand stuff is like propelling my business forward and also propelling Salesforce's business yeah. forward. And, and we would go to events and they would talk about like, oh, we you know saw you at this podcast. And it became extremely clear to me too that when I would write a blog post after I would do a bunch of you know podcasts and video content and events, yeah. that then that would get way more received. And they wouldn't reference the blog post and say like, hey, I read your post. They'd be like, oh, I heard you talking about blank. Yeah. And so it was like what was sticking was the conversations that we were having on podcasts and video series, yeah. not writing stuff. Yeah. And then also I would talk to these guests and the guests would tell these stories. And I remember specifically one guest who was a CIO, five-time CIO, very influential IT leader. And he told me a story about what happened to him on 9-11 and the IT oh, wow. problems that he dealt with that day in New York. And he was like, I've never told that story in you know, 20 years. And I really, you know, it kind of makes me realize, like, I think I want to write a book and like, I want wow. that to be part of it. And he was like, it's just so like, thank you for being able to tell the story. So then I kind of had that realization that we're unearthing stories that people want to tell, yeah. that they don't have the ability to sit down and like write it out yeah. and we're giving it to them. And that is creating value for that person too. Yeah. And so, and then I looked at companies like, does any company have any way to like cultivate these stories, not customer yeah. stories, not just talking about products and services, sure. but to do that. And I was like, no, they, they don't have that. They don't yeah. have like a muscle in their organization that tells stories that are not just about their products and services, yeah. but are about their community yeah. in a way. And like Salesforce was like the best one. And I was sitting there like, hey, we're making all these shows. And yeah. so I came to the same conclusion yeah. that you did in, in sort of a, the opposite way through content that content is pipeline. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. It drives pipeline. It accelerates pipeline. It does all that stuff. And so few companies ever looked at it that way. Why, yeah. why do you think that that was? Do, why do you think that the investment into content and how the organization was structured has sort of been yeah. an afterthought? Yeah, I think there's maybe two different trends. First is like how we define content. Because this is not universal, but if you look at maybe most B2B kind of marketing teams, uh, like, do you have a content person or content team, they're like, yeah, they're pumping out SEO articles, you know, anchor pages, we're writing it for Google. And, and that's, you know, we're doing sort of the inbound marketing kind of thing. And again, I'm not trying to like, you know, diminish that. I think that's important. It's just, it's getting more like, we're all competing for the same keywords. And, you know, there's only so much attention to capture. Um, so I think it's a zero sum game, right? Yeah, there's absolutely. 10 spots on Google, and yeah. you want to be in the top couple. Exactly. And we know that it works. But I mean, even Rand Fishkin, who like wrote the book on SEO, <laughs> right. is like now like, hey, yeah. this stuff is not a good thing to invest. Exactly in. right. And I think that that's actually a, a super interesting point and very timely. We've spent the last two decades trying to automate marketing. Marketing automation is the language that we've used. And it's timely because literally yesterday, John Miller, just saw his face up there a second ago, co-founder of Marketo, just released a post that literally, it was like uh, vulnerable, I'd say, for him to write. It was like, the playbook that I wrote for marketing no longer works. And so even Marketo is saying up here, saying like the old way of thinking about content as a function of maybe driving traffic to potentially drive inbound conversions to sort of like run that play 
it's just not working in this modern world. And so I think your, your point on storytelling is super interesting because we, there's, so, there's only so much attention that we can capture. And I think what it's like a cheesy thing to say, but we're realizing that, mark, that even B2B buyers are human beings that want to be entertained and educated. And that's what pierces through the noise is if we can tell stories in a compelling way, that will fundamentally drive more pipeline, more affinity, more sustainable relationship than trying to sort of like trick someone into filling out an ebook form so we can like spam them kind of a thing, right? right. That's kind of like the historical context oversimplified. But this is a much more authentic, real thing. And I think we're just as an industry like hungry for authenticity now. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of words that sort of needed redefinition. Brand is one, content is one. And I heard brand described to me recently as like brand is your buying experience and your customer experience. So if that's the case and you're investing in like customer experience and how they go through the funnel, then... And part of your buying experience is your website yeah. and how quickly someone can go to your website. You know, obviously the great people at Qualified who put this whole thing on. That, you know, Craig, when I talked to his CEO years ago when they were starting Qualified, and he was like, if the CEO of your biggest prospect walked into the door to your headquarters, yeah. which in my case is my my office, my actual <laughs> house. But if that can, if, if that in. happened, even better, you would roll out the red carpet, you'd go get them a drink, you'd yeah. have, you know, do all this stuff. If that person comes to your website, Nobody cares, right? And then you just get treated like anyone else who comes to your website. And so again, that's about your buying experience. What is it like to go through that? Well, that buying experience happens with 5% of the people that are going through buying a product. Mm -hmm. And the other 95% of the time, you're not buying stuff. And we have very little time, money, and energy invested in the 95% of times right. that people are pre-buying, pre-research. Yeah. And so like we know that 67% of the time that people do research before talking to sales. Yeah. But what about before they're doing research? And like it seems like inception and it seems like kind of yeah. silly to even like talk about this stuff, but it's true. Totally. Like 13 impressions equals a sale. Well, if you have someone on your <laughs> podcast series, for example, and you have the reaching out to them, the prep call, the having them on the recording, following up with them afterwards, you know, people, then you posting it on social, them posting on social, people from their company commenting and all that sort of stuff. People, you know, months later reaching out. So you get just from one podcast episode, for example, you get all of that. And if that content then is getting resurfaced on a platform like Audience Plus on your website, over and over and over again to new buyers. And then they see that piece of content. So, hey, by the way, yeah. did you, I'd listen to this episode with you that you did like four months ago. And like you and AK were talking about this stuff. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like it lives on. And like, that is super important. And yeah. then the final piece here on sort of like, we could go into the whole AI conversation. Yeah. But the idea is like, what Anthony is doing right now for his marketing strategy, like today, this quarter, what he's going to do for Q4 is really, really interesting to me personally, right? Like that's not something that you can shove into ChatGPT yeah. and like crank out and put a blog post on your on your blog. Yeah. You need to have Anthony give his insights in real time about what he's doing yeah. for next quarter because that's what people are looking for. Like yeah. pure driven insights is the thing that like I realized and I unlocked of like, 
We have to unearth the peer-driven insights, which yeah. people are historically bad at giving, and then share those and disseminate those with people, yeah. and then put it in the right place at the right time with platforms like Audience Plus on the website when people do that. And so this it, it just changes the fundamental way that to think about how we're serving the right information of the right people and using yeah. their peers as a proxy for a writer sitting there like with a blank Google Doc, yeah. which I think is just the wrong way of thinking oh, about absolutely. it. Oh, absolutely. No, no. The other thing, I mean, is you're talking about just like all the touch points that you're doing as you're bringing guests on the show and everything. You're building a relationship, right? And I think that's part of this. We are chatting before we came up here. There's almost like a renaissance happening in B2B marketing where we're going back to like our basics where what do we do? We understand the channels and the ability to create content in order to scale the ability to build a relationship, to establish trust behind a brand. Nick used to say, like, you know, if you can get me in front of a customer, like, you know, or we used to think against that, if you put Nick in front of a customer, things are good. Yep. So we just got to get him in front of a million customers. And we can't do that because of space and time. So through our content, we're able to scale Nick and the trust that he can build to the world through things like podcasts and live streams and all these types of things. So I think the current, the common kind of, point here and that in the connection to pipeline is that through this new, not new approach, but this renewed sense of reimagining our content marketing, we're building relationship and we're helping ultimately drive business through that. Yeah. I, I tell our team this, that I'm like, I should be doing five things. I should be talking to someone on our team, talking to a potential, you know, a prospect or a partner, talking to a customer, mm-hmm. talking into a microphone, yeah. you know, somewhere that that goes out there or, or talking to a customer. And it's like yeah. that as a CEO, like that's what I want to be doing. Right. And that's what every CEO should be doing. I mean, they have to talk to their board too and, yeah. and people like that. But generally speaking, like talking to a microphone is something that they haven't invested in. We do a uh, Snowflake series and Frank Slootman is like one of the you know, most brilliant people yeah. as a technologist. But we worked on, we've worked on that series and they are methodical with how they think about Frank's style leadership. And everyone you talk to is like, oh, I've read Amp It Up. And you're like, oh, so I guess writing a book still does work. (laughs) And they have this really good series. And you just start to look at that and like how your executives perform. And not just executives, other people on your team, your CMO, if you're you're selling to engineers, your head of engineering, Mm -hmm. like those perspectives matter too. And you need to create vehicles for them as well to, yeah. to share thought leadership. Like totally. it, it matters. And the term thought leadership is just a stupid term anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a loaded term. People buy from people ultimately. Yeah. And so I think that's sort of the thing. If we can kind of put them in a position to, you know, to, for people to get to know us, our leadership team, our extended team. Like, I think that's, that's the core kind of premise. Switching gears to your go-to-market. So Audience Plus, you officially launched the company when? May, officially. And then yeah. previous to that, you were in the lab working yeah. on stuff. I remember you showed me the deck and we were on site too. I was like, dude, I already get it. Audience <laughs> plus, I'm 100% in. Yeah. I don't even need to see the rest of the deck. I know exactly where you're going. So how long did you work building up before you launched? Yeah, so we raised our seed round in March of 22. I think we talked probably like, you know, April of 22, something yeah. along those lines. And we've been building the product kind of ever since. In October of that year, we started launching our own content, right? Because we're like, we got to, you know, 
walk in the shoes of our customer. We got to evangelize this kind of concept. We're kind of calling it owned media for now. It's not obviously our language. It's in like textbooks, you know, for, for generations. But, you know, I think one that we sort of skipped over a little bit in, in terms of modern B2B marketing. So we've been trying to educate and inspire around this idea of owned, owned media. And then we launched the company in May, announced it, talked about the, the product and have been kind of selling and kind of marketing ever since. But, you know, we're a seed stage company. So we don't have you know, hop in budget or, you know, that's, that's a whole other podcast, but we don't have like the budget of, you know, a traditional kind of at scale business. And so we believe that a lot of this stuff we're talking about here doesn't have to be super, super expensive. Like you can, you've got the stories, right? Like that's ultimately the currency of what you need. So a lot of what we've been doing is going all in on content production events like those types of things as a function of building our our subscriber base for lack of a better term and then using our subscriber base to kind of monetize that into revenue so you know one of the big kind of hallmarks of that was our launch event that we did so we hosted this like four-hour linkedin takeover event we had a celebrity uh, uh, hopefully we can talk about this a little bit but um the the power of celebrity and in b2b marketing but we had uh topanga from boy meets world if there's any 90s sitcom fans here hosted it for us Uh, nostalgia is this weird thing where it's not like super expensive but also it hits like you know it's very effective and we drew some inspiration from like SpaceX launches where they're counting down in this pre-show to this big reveal, which was this keynote. And then we took inspiration from The Bachelor, which I know, but uh, it was basically like the after the rose ceremony where we brought people up to react to the keynote and kind of the implications. And so it was this beautiful kind of, you know, moment that we tried to engineer. And that really kind of kicked things off for us, I think, because we were sort of like in the lab, to use your language, kind of talking about this thing. But we wanted to create this sort of like cataclysmic kind of moment for the industry to, to gather. And since then, you know, we've been trying to kind of, you know, try, find ways to one-up that kind of, you know, going forward. Yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, obviously every, every you know, great technology company sort of is spearheading this movement and this whole, whole like Andy Raskin sort of, you know, create the, the change that is happening. Company like Qualified, where, you know, you look at, conversational marketing, you look at someone turning your website into a, to a selling machine yeah. and how, just how few people think about that. Yet when you talk to marketers, like I've asked what 150 marketers, how do they think about their website? And they're like, Oh my God, it's the storefront. It's the most important yeah. thing. It's so important. I'm like, how much do you invest in like turning that into selling machines? Like, Oh, well, you know, we're, we're a value. And you're like, what are you talking about? You <laughs> yeah. just said it's the most important thing. But so, you know, like qualified, obviously spearheading that movement. Yeah. You obviously spearheading this own content movement. And it's so important. And I think the reason why that your event was so well received and your launch was so well received was because of the fact that people are looking for this like crystallization of what they see around them. They see Salesforce Plus, they see the HubSpot podcast network, they see companies like Paddle and Qualified with Qualified Plus and all these things. And they're like, wait a second, the best marketers are building out this own content portfolio yeah. of shows and events and and really cool, interesting content that's very persona-driven. It's like yeah. hyper-specific. It's like multi-channel. It's multi-format. Like yeah. all of the best folks are doing this. And I'm kind of sitting here like banging out another blog post that like it's going to get six views yeah. for a term that like do we even know if we need or not? Yeah. And I, so I think that there was some of that happened. Did you feel like after the event that that you got that type of feedback from people? Totally, totally. I think that was the, 
you know, if you're a content professional and you're hearing kind of this message, this is hopefully really encouraging and exciting because this is the type of stuff content folks wanted to work on, at least in my, the folks that, that I'd worked, worked with. I think the other piece that's interesting is taking it, you know, further down funnel because we've had, you know, we talked about this a little bit, like the traditional tactics to generating pipeline just aren't working anymore. Right. And so when we've, you know, the message that we've been kind of trying to articulate is a big part of that is because we've been either paying for access to our audience through digital advertising or renting it through these third-party platforms. So this idea of like, you know, and again, this fits into the broader kind of audience acquisition funnel. So I'm not suggesting like stay away from this, but like, you know, doing an expensive like video project, putting it on YouTube and your CEO asking you, how did that go? Right. Like, I don't know. We got like hundred views on it. I think it was okay. There yep. might've been a bump in traffic and we're like telling that story. So I think the, the, the feedback that kind of helped affirm and validate like this, this broader idea of owned audience building or whatever we want to refer to it as is there's an appetite for new ideas in the demand team and the pipeline generation team. I think qualifies doing such a great job of that and, and kind of advocating for the owned experience and how do we kind of make that a storefront. I love that, that kind of analogy. But I think that's why this is really resonating a lot is this feels like an opportunity for us to do something that's authentic, to, to have access to the data that's proving that it's working. And ultimately, we're seeing signal of like higher conversions and better connection to, to, to outcomes. So it's no longer a brand thing. Like we kind of opened yeah. up the conversation talking about it could be and it's important, but it actually is fundamentally now a driver to revenue. And I think that's what people have been really excited about. Because that's, that's something they can take to their CFO in 2023 and say, this isn't just we're not going to write this off. Like this is fundamentally like how we're going to hit our number this year. And we weren't able to really put a lot of language around that until until recently well yeah i mean and and i think like for for us you know we work with 65 plus you know b2b technology companies and for us like if you're talking to someone who has a poor attribution strategy like you will not get good information yeah like if you're saying hey we do last touch attribution you're like yeah i mean sure yeah but you're you that's you're juking your own stats right like that at the end of the day, like, so like, let's just use webinars. So they've been to 17 webinars, but then they got a cold email and like you attribute to the, the deal email. to the cold email. Yeah, right. Like, I don't think that that's a super good plan, but yeah. that's a lot of the conversations that we have is just a marketer being like, Hey, this is how attribution is done yeah. here. And like, I don't even know how to tag this. Yeah. Right. But like we cast me we've sourced 21% of the revenue for our business from our series from an, from our nice. own original content of like a hundred percent sourced. Wow. So, I mean, you're just looking at like, if we turned it off, that's 20% less. And I would imagine it would be a lot higher than that. Yeah. But that's like cold sourced. Yep. Right. Yep. So I think it's just tricky for people to try to figure out how to, how content drives ROI and drives pipeline. And I think that what we're working on is trying to develop those plays yeah. so you can put it into your playbook of like, okay, this is how you use a video podcast for, you know, for cold. 
This is yeah. how you use it for pipeline acceleration. Right. This is how you use it for customer story like evangelism. Mm -hmm. This is how you use it for thought leadership executive play. This is how you use, oh, you have you know, a revived account or a, hey, we'll buy next quarter account. Yeah. Like this is how you use it. This is how you position it. And those plays just like no one is running those or yeah. people who are running them are not sort of sharing those. Yep. And those are directly pipeline driven plays. Totally. And like, when is content ever running pipeline plays? Yeah. Like when is the content person even ever sitting with the demand person? Shout out Sarah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's just not very common. Totally. I think that's right. I also think, that, you know, the other piece of it is, you know, I think attribution in general is such a sticky, you know, to your point, kind of complex topic. I think just the point of view that we're starting to develop is it's not that it's not fundamentally working today. It's just that it's a lot easier if the data is first party. Right. If we know that here's what they're, you know, they like we can attribute a multi-touch model, but we have the touch points that we can cue off of, right? That's the value. And so like there's no there's no question you have to put your podcast on Spotify, Apple Music. You have to be where your audience is. You have to put your videos on YouTube from like an organic discovery perspective, paid media. So none of this is sort of like saying like, hey, run away from all of these, like, these platforms. But I think for a brand to send traffic to YouTube through an email post, through a, uh, right. email, a social post, it's like, why? Like if we can send that traffic instead to our website, to the storefront, to the revenue sales machine that we're building, we have a higher propensity to get a conversion. And at, or not, or best case, or, or if not that, at least we can understand that someone from this company is actually engaging with this topic or this format. And that might be interesting as we're thinking about kind of monetization down, down funnels. So, so again, it's a, it's a sticky topic, but I think we're seeing this kind of pull toward first party data. And I think that's really kind of at the heart of proving impact of content. Yeah, I mean, I think another piece on that is people are just dumping money into Google ads, Facebook yeah. ads, and LinkedIn. And like, if you cordon off a little bit of that oh, yeah. and create original series, then you can see like, hey, this is, we're running these plays and we're doing this stuff yeah. and start to measure the impact. But the idea of like, to get to that point yeah. is, you know, that's a sacred cow for a lot of people. Totally. Right? And like for a lot of people we talk to on cuttable budget items, which we're going to do here in a second, <laughs> is, you know, Google ads are, are, are still, you know, one of the things it's like, of course it should be. But at the same time, like that is a very high intent yeah. situation. Right. How do we get ahead of that right. before they're searching for something? They're, when they're not in market, yeah. when it's, you know, Q1 and they're not going to budget again for yeah. another nine months. How, what, how are you, what's your plan of engagement in Q1? Yep. Because it can't be Google ads. Can't like be. it can't be face or Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads. Right. Unless right. you're running the same copy at them all year long. Yep. Of like buy now, buy now. Like that makes no sense. That's right. That's right. That's right. So what are your uncuttable budget items for Audience Plus? Oh man. What is budget for a seed stage company? Everything, <laughs> everything is just like <laughs> up for grabs. You know, very tactically, hopefully it's not too revealing, but like, you know, we spend very, we've tried to just for a company of our size and, and budget candidly is like, we've tried to in-house some of our content production. And so I think over time we want to work with great partners to help us really scale and take the production quality up and, and really kind of go to that next level. So our, our cost to produce is very little. We're spending money on LinkedIn organic 
which is mm-hmm. kind of random. This gentleman named Alex Lieberman at Morning Brew. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he's kind of a thought leader in the kind of audience building space. He started this agency around ghostwriting for execs. Yeah. Have you seen that story yeah. art? Yeah. yeah. And so we're one of his first customers. So the spoiler alert is like, hopefully again, not revealing too much. Like I'm not writing like what I'm, what's going out on LinkedIn. This agency is actually doing it for me. They'll interview me back to the idea of storytelling yep. and produce a post every day. And so, so We've literally tried to cut almost everything, but that's the one that we can't get rid of. Yeah. Because like we we're doing the like Chris Walker, you know, self-report attribution on yep. our lead forms. And like literally almost every one that we're not, that's not true, but like 50 to 60% of our form fills are like, saw you on LinkedIn, saw you on, on LinkedIn. I walked in today and two people were like, oh, I think I saw you on LinkedIn, like saying something. So an important driver towards building traffic to send to your site to convert into subscriber is how we sort of engage on these rented spaces. And for B2B, at least LinkedIn is, I think, like the predominant surface yep. for us to really figure out. I was just so bad at it. Like I'd write like paragraphs and like you get like no impressions. And then they've really kind of helped coach me on how to do better in terms of content distribution in that channel, as well as just building relationship. And so far, that's actually working quite well, quite well for us. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say content development, yeah. executive thought leadership yes. as like, you know, the main two drivers there. Yeah. And then LinkedIn organic, yeah. which is again, that's still a content play, but yeah. it's your distribution channel being LinkedIn. And Zero then- paid. We don't have any budget for paid media whatsoever. We're not doing it for now. Like I'm not saying that's forever. Yeah. But at if we're kind of putting the efficiency hat on. Like, we're like, all right, so how can we leverage these channels that we're talking about today and actually do the thing that we're going to ask our customers to do? So sorry, we cut you off, but... No, yeah. And how many yeah. shows do you have right now? Four different shows and then a monthly kind of event series. Yeah. How many of those do you host personally? Well, that's actually been... It's actually a good question for you because I've, in the earliest days, I've hosted like almost all of them yeah. except for one. But that's not my ambition. Like, I, I, I think about our media brand or I refer to it as like, I think, I think, I think this is good advice for other companies, but I would love your, your thoughts on it. Yeah. It's to make it feel more like a network Yeah, where it's not me as like the voice, but, and it's not even audience plus employees that are delivering this content, but that we're almost building this like creator network of sorts of subject matter experts in the domain that we're talking about. And almost like commissioning them to produce content for us. And what that gives us is a couple things. Scale for content, cadence, making sure we're dropping kind of new episodes all the time. Two, they're bringing their brand equity into our network. And so it's not just this like self-serving thing anymore, but it's like, this is for the community, by the community. But also there's built-in distribution. If you choose your, your creators the right way, they're promoting each episode to their audience and it's helping kind of create more viewership. So I don't like what we're doing today because it's very me driven and I want to get out of that. And again, very small team, very small budgets, but our hope is to like have ambition to do more of the network type thing where we have a diversity of voices and perspectives that are contributing to the conversation. Yeah, I think it's, I think both are a winning strategy. What we see, and if you take a look like an example of is Qualified. Qualified so Plus, yeah. with Qualified Plus, you have three different shows. So I host Pipeline Visionaries. I host Rise of RevOps. And then Dan Darcy hosts Inside the Ohana. Mm. And if you look oh, cool. at the way that those three shows, it's three different separate personas. Mm-hmm. It's the way that we the way that we have developed those over time is very specific in the way yeah. that we do it. And, and that works really well. 
for, for some of our other customers, we go and source external hosts, yeah. like train them, coach them, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes those are people who are just experts in the space who have no media training, so we coach them up. Yeah. Other times they're people who, who do have a little bit more of that. Yeah. That works really well. And what I think the best way to do it, and we talk with the CMO of ClickUp, and she, yeah. Uh, and yes, she's, oh, yeah, yeah you, Melissa? Know, you know Melissa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's awesome. Their strategy is creating thought leaderships of their executive yes. team at ClickUp. That is like core to their strategy. Yep. And it's absolutely a winning strategy. We have a bunch yeah. of customers that do that too. So I think the answer is actually it's all a of the bit above. Of kind of thing. Yeah, it's you want to source external speakers, you want friendlies, you want internal employees, and you and you want to do that. And the thing that I think is so funny is like people treat like shows specifically like they're a one-size-fits-all. Well, some people like to watch the news. Some yeah. people don't. Some people some people like to watch Marvel movies. Yeah. Some people don't. Some people like to watch like one 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 of the CEOs of of one of our customers is like loves Rogan, loves like super long form, two hour. It's like I really want our podcast to be that way. I'm like totally, yeah. But there's also a massive, you know, percentage of the population that wants a ten to twenty minute easy listen, yeah. easy drinking beer yeah. that they can that they can you know watch or listen to when they're walking their dog. Yeah. And so the answer isn't that one is right or wrong. Right. It's that people have different preferences in how they consume that totally. stuff. One of the most popular episodes I ever did was with the CMO of Spotify. And we did, we did like two and a half hours. Yeah. And it was amazing the entire time. But wow. that doesn't mean that like every one of your shows needs to be the exact yeah. same. And so, you know, variety is the spice of life. Yeah. And you need to think about things of like people consume things in different ways. And some people might listen, like listening to AK. Yeah. And some people might you know, can't stand you as a yeah. host. And like, that's totally fine. Yeah, so yeah. let them opt into the types of content that yeah. they want. What's interesting about that and qualified in particular is the optimization is around the persona or yeah. the audience in terms of format, in terms of who they are, the problems they're solving, not keywords, right? Yeah. And that's what we're coming from. Like, and that's what's changing. And, you know, I think we're still in the early days, candidly, because we're still creating content ideas based on what we think is going to generate more organic search traffic to, to the site, which is, again, Table stakes and good, and someone should probably do something there. But this is that next chapter where it's content that is authentic for a specific subset of your audience that is told in story, delivers value, and builds relationship. And the second piece I was going to say is like, you know, we, we think about our content like calendar, like network TV a little bit, where right. there's like a fall slate, a summer slate, a winter slate. And so we're coming out of our summer slate now with like a new set of shows. And so, and again, I don't know how much of this is like, a good best practice, but the spice, the variety being the spice of life thing, like we can mix it up where in the fall we're targeting these personas with these formats. It might be audio or video or, or it might be like a show that's like a teardown show as opposed to an interview or yep. something to that and entertainment, murder yep. mystery. And we're able to kind of go, you know, into different seasons and introduce new value in new formats for the same audience. So I think as we're thinking about a content strategy, there's a lot of like cool analogies from Hollywood, from the consumer world that we can, and we're going to talk about that soon here, that, that I think can be, that can really up-level kind of how we're thinking about production today. Yeah, so that our four tenets of, of our framework are, so peer-driven insights, so it's got to be peer-led. Yeah. It's got to be persona-based. Mm. It's got to be multi-channel, multi-format. So you have to have an own content piece yeah. of this and then understand your distribution yep. strategies. And then 
it's got to be serialized. So like serialized content is eating the world. Yes. This is like, if you look at every type of media right now, like Mattel is investing hugely in serialized mm. content, creating franchises that have a brand that and doing yes. that stuff. If you look at Barbie and all that stuff, yeah. like Lego happened a decade ago and they rolled out Barbie and it's like the biggest smash hit ever yeah. 10 years later. Wow. So this is how slow Mattel was to figure out like, hey, we made this like a marketing thing that made us $450 million. Like wow. we should probably start doing this again. And now they have an entire slate of programming that's franchised. So that's I think like with those four tenants for B2B, that's the way that we think about it. And you're talking about our the murder mystery that we did with Jim yeah. Pass, murder and, murder and HR. And like that is a core piece of this thing is like nobody in B2B does fiction and mm. because it's hard and because like getting Hollywood talent and doing that stuff is way harder. There's yep. no traffic on the extra mile, but we've seen with that show, like the number one fiction show in all of Apple right yeah. now, you know, we did 140,000 downloads in the first like two weeks. Yeah. And the reason why is because HR people who we made it for yeah. love it, but also other people like it. Yeah. And so it's just another, like, again, it's an easy drinking beer. Yeah. It's, it's the 5%, you know, summer lager that you're just yeah. like, hey, I can throw this on on my walk. This is super cool. And then you become a fan of it. Yeah. And like, some people might love that format. Some people might love interview style, yeah. but you're giving people different types of that. options. And then they engage with you in different ways. Here's a fun fact. So Jim Pass had a prospect of theirs, like a, a semi-warm prospect, reach out to their sales team because they wanted a private screening of Murder in HR. Whoa. I'm like, when do you ever, when do your ads ever get you to get private meetings yeah. with, your, with your prospects, right? And it's like, because the levels of engagement are so different, yeah, right? That's right? And it opens questions like, how did you get Kate Mara to do yeah, this? How yeah, did yeah. you get Breck Elman? And that sort of stuff, I think, is like what's missing from B2B is that like spontaneity yeah. and like variety and edutainment yeah, and something right. interesting that just is not really commonly invested yeah. in because it's like, well, that doesn't drive pipelines. Like, no, actually yeah. it does. And we can prove that now. And it, it feeds fandom too, which I think yeah. is that interesting language that we haven't used too much in B2B. But also you can build like a, a whole marketing thing around that. Like what if there was like a private event or a live recording with with Mara and Brett, is it? Yeah. Uh, like that you have all your key prospects in and it's just like high touch kind of ABM campaign. So, I mean, there's all of this stuff can be integrated into the fabric of your go-to-market that, to help drive sales ultimately it's not just this like you know i mean hitting the top of the charts is incredible by the way like it, maybe the first b2b marketing oh, yeah, podcast ever i think it's got to be the yeah. first that's even close right yeah but now like you've proven that hypothesis and now we can take that and turn it into an entire kind of program really that drives more revenue which is great and like gym passes strategy, their core marketing strategy and content strategy is about providing value to their community that's value-added. Like yeah. they love HR people. They're trying to make the employee experience better for all of their customers. Yeah. And that's what HR people are trying to do. And so like when you when you take that premise and then you say, well, what what content can we make for HR people to surprise and delight them yeah. in a way that serves them? Like and one of the conversations early on was like, what does a love letter to HR look like? Mm. How do we show them that they are seen and appreciated and heard and yeah. that we understand what they're going through? I was in HR, so I knew what that was like. And part of the reason why we wrote it in the way that we did was to put a shine on HR, to put their name in lights in a way yeah. that had never, ever been done. And, and if you look at the Hollywoodization of 
HR has been extremely negative, I think. I think yeah. for tech, it's oh, the totally. same way. And like nobody can tell authentic business stories. And so that stuff, I think people, there's a, there's a like real understanding and longing for to be seen like that, yeah. right? I, I, when I was in Scotland when I was a kid, and I remember getting a tour and they were talking about the movie Braveheart. And the, the guy was like, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. And so all that said, it's an 11 out of 10 and we love it. You know, like, and like, that's how it is. Like, they you belong. Know, yeah. They feel like they're a part of it. Yeah, that's so cool. So what are you seeing when you're talking to CMOs yeah. and how they're investing in content, how they're connecting it to pipeline? Obviously, you know, on Pipeline Visionaries, it's all we think about here. Yeah. And we know that it's working, but it seems like it's a pretty uphill battle yeah. to try to go to your CFO and say, hey, we're going to invest in content. And then they come back and go, yeah, but, but, yeah. but, but where's the number? Yeah. I mean, certainly, I think that, the, again, the conversation being had between CFOs and CMOs today is all about efficient growth. Like, that's kind of the, the parent umbrella because the only thing we know for sure that we can't do this year with the resources that we have, with the expectations that are on us, is the same thing that we've done for the last several years. So there's, in a way, you know, an optimistic way to think about that, that there's appetite for new ideas within the CMO or the executive team. Now, I think for the majority of, of the conversations we have, we're still in the early early adopter innovator phase of this belief and this this new kind of mentality. So we're trying to do our job of evangelizing it and, and talking through it as much as we can. But for companies that really get it, you know, qualified being one, there's sort of like a, you know, and you hit this earlier, taking a slice out of your paid budget, which is traditionally for most marketing teams, the largest line item on the program budget for marketers, just a little slice out of that could produce enough content to prove the hypothesis. Yep. So that's sort of step one. It's like, all right, we're not saying we're going to step into like a brand new budgetary ask. We're going to take something off of search marketing, let's say, like keep the LinkedIn spend or whatever, the amplification budget, but like, let's take search and invest in producing one show or something to that end. So that sort of starts the conversation. And we're hearing actually some pretty interesting appetite there. And I think the piece that that is, is resonating with our message is we're saying, hey, if you can use the, those content assets in a way where you can distribute in those rented channels to drive attention, but then do it in service of driving owned audience, we can actually start to measure the impact of this in a, in a pretty material way. We're not going to have to wait for Google to maybe index the post, which might take a while. And then we'll have this like anonymous web visit that we think could potentially like that sort of feedback loop that is long and kind of hard to justify to a CFO, candidly, isn't necessarily the case when you have a subscriber, when you have someone that is opted into your content, where we see if they're coming back, what they're watching, what topics they're interested in. And so, you know, I think part of the, the value proposition of what we're trying to offer is you could get a pretty close, a pretty fast feedback loop on content you're producing today if you're able to have the data to prove the connection to, to something else. So, I, so if, I, if I were to extrapolate that, I would say the MQL of the past is being challenged. And I think what people are starting to kind of get around to is this idea of audience engagement as a leading indicator to pipeline. Yeah. So if I know that, back to the Jim Pass example, people are consuming this, they're coming back for the second episode and the third, or they're binging the whole series, like, and we have that context. That is super interesting for us for a 
you know, how this deal is trending to potentially being, you know, being a real opportunity for us. So I think we're seeing this, like the, the language change internally as well around audience and around this idea of how we measure engagement as a leading indicator to, to pipeline creation. It sometimes it's just seems so obvious and simple to me where you, where you look at someone that's a cold account that, yeah. that you have emailed. Yeah. Multiple, so we did a test. I, yeah. I've never told you this. Uh-uh. So we did a test. So we ran a cold, we get, we ran cold emails to, I think it was 250 accounts, sales emails. Yeah. Hey, like that still very well written. We have a pretty good response. Basically like, Hey, you buy, buy stuff from Caspian. It's great. Yeah. And then we ran the same emails to the same people with, Hey, do you want to come on our show? Mm. And we went from a 1% response rate to a 25% response Whoa, rate. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And so, and like, again, I told you we closed 21% of the people who come on our show. Yeah. So you're like, you do the math there and you're like, that is an extremely, yeah. extremely cheap channel Very to send a bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, cold outreach. And, and I, we sat down with our marketing team and was like, why would we ever email anyone ever again? Yeah. That's not just inviting them onto our show. Totally. Like, why would you ever do that? That should be the front door yeah. kind of into, into the funnel. Yeah. yeah. And, and even still, like, there's, there's, there's accounts that, you know, we run, we run some other, you know, cold campaigns that we're still sort of doing based off of, like, very specific triggers and all that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it still just doesn't perform as well, even if yeah. that person is ready to buy. Because once they see who you are and your company, they're like, oh, by the way, I was looking for a solution like this. Yeah. Or, hey, what do you all do? Yeah. So th- that sales conversation, it's either going to happen or it's not anyway. Right. So you may as well invite them to something that actually is value added to yeah. them. And, and puts their name in lights and helps yeah. them tell a story that they weren't able to rather than just like, just buy our stuff. Yeah. And like, it's so simple. And you're like, yeah. why, why is this not like a more common yeah. play? But then you talk to people and you're like, hey, we have 670 named accounts that we're going after. And you're like, well, so then why would you be dumping in paid into yeah. Google ads for 670 accounts when you could just have a targeted strategy to go after the people in those accounts in a value-added yeah. way. Yeah. Like you already know the accounts. Yeah, totally. You know the people. They're in your sales force. Like you want them to come to you. And so I think that there's just like a little bit of, un- of knowledge to say like, do you know that there's a better way? Yeah. Do you know there's a more efficient way to spend your money? Yeah. And that like that hasn't, you know, certain people get it and other folks are still sort of like, yeah, but I got to convince my CFO. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think we're on the right side of history, right? Like I think this is sort of, but, you know, this is where the market is headed. And I think it's starting to pick up. We're seeing kind of, you know, a lot of companies moving from the 20-year-old marketing automation playbook to this, this new one. And it's exciting. Like, I think, honestly, it's, like, it's so cheesy to say this, but it's like never been a better time to be like a B2B marketer yeah. because our whole practice is in reinvention. And if you like storytelling, relationships, and people, and all these types of things, it's a good time. You know, I think it's a good time for a profession. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one more one more thing that I thought was pretty interesting. So I was talking to, so, so one of our customers had this, we did a pilot, everybody wants to do pilots, right? Because mm-hmm. budgets are tight. So we're gonna do a pilot, it's gonna be 14 episode pilot. And they gave us the name to list accounts we went after. There's one huge account, massive, massive, it's like, you know, Fortune 100 company, mm-hmm. and closed the deal for like 800K. Wow. cold from that. So like, I think it's like nine plus X ROI on just that one episode, right? Wow. And so we're going back to their team. They're like, yeah, so I mean, this renewal should be pretty easy, but yeah. like, why don't you make five more shows? Like if you could see this type of ROI and it's like, oh yeah, I don't know that, that might be tough. And then you're just like, 
what are we talking about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like this type of thing works. And so I think that even still just investing in content, take, peeling money away from paid into content, even when you can show the ROI is still a tricky proposition. Tricky. Yeah. And so I think that like we have a lot of work to do to, to showcase like how yeah. content drives pipeline and yeah. how you should be connecting those a lot better. But like you said, yeah. it's an exciting time. Yeah, totally. Totally. Anthony, great having you on the show. Any final Thanks, thoughts? Yeah. Anything to play? Everyone should check out goodaudienceplus.com, obviously. Thank but yeah, you. any final thoughts? No, this is great. Uh, I'm excited to be here in Dreamforce and qualified. Uh, so looking forward to the day and appreciate being on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.